Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 26th episode of 2021. So that means we are exactly halfway through the year. On Monday, the Fiber Broadband Association and EFF, along with 170 other organizations, sent a letter to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy urging Congress to provide full funding for a national broadband program for future-proof networks. You know, we're seeing some positive momentum on the administration's uh, infrastructure package. Most recently, a bipartisan group of 11 senators formally negotiated with the White House on behalf of roughly 120 senators, evenly split between Democrats and Republicans, who supported a framework for an infrastructure package. The White House endorsed the frame endorsed the framework and presented that was presented by the negotiators. Under the negotiated package, uh, broadband would be funded at $65 billion, although this is less than the president's requested $100 billion and less than many of the congressional bills it represents. It is the single largest commitment of federal dollars ever for broadband. The $65 billion will include $45 billion in new money and $20 billion from existing funds that have not been spent from the earlier COVID relief packages. While this positive is, mo- uh, excuse me, while this momentum is positive, the devil's in the detail. The devil is in the details, so stay, stay tuned. I'm having a hard time this morning. Speaking of positive momentum, we are now 26 days away from the start of the Fiber Connect Conference, which will be held uh, July 25th to 28th in Nashville. This in-person event is going to be our biggest and best conference ever. So if you're not registered, uh, please do so, because you're not going to want to miss it. Early bird pricing ends today, June 30th. So don't delay, register today. You know, we have a great Fiber for Breakfast session for you today. Today's topic is how um, unlocking the potential of your fiber investment, next generation pond technology. And again, good morning and welcome, everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with the Fiber Broadband Association's Technology Committee leadership and discussed their latest white paper on the rural digital divide. Joining us today is Ryan McCowan, the CTO for the Americas from Atran, who's going to share with us share with us how to unlock the potential of your fiber investment, next generation pond technology. Ryan is a veteran telecom professional with 20 years in industry. He leads AdTran's vision for fiber-driven and software-managed access networks of today and tomorrow. Previously at AdTran, he served in a, a range of sales and product management roles. Prior to joining AdTran in 2010, he held engineering and technology roles at Paradigm and AMD. Ryan holds a master's degree from Georgia Tech and a bachelor's from Tennessee Tech, both in electrical and computer engineering. So we're all, welcome, Ryan. Good to have you here. Thanks a lot, Gary. It's good to be here. You know, for our audience, you know, please type in your questions in the Q&A section. And uh, at the end of our um, Ryan's presentation, we will spend some time on Q&A. 
So over to you, Ryan. What I want to talk about here is where the pawn world is going uh, over the next few years from a technology perspective. And, and this is really important for uh, people who have fiber networks or people who are thinking about building fiber networks. Um, because if you think about it, the, the investment that you make in that network is, is almost completely in that fiber asset. Um, you know, there's, there's cost in, in the electronics that go on each end. Uh, and, and other ancillary things, but the vast majority of, of the investment that you're making in that network is, is in getting the fiber uh, deployed out there in the outside plant, strung along the poles, uh, underground, wherever it is. So the, the key to maximizing the return that you get on that investment is to continue to leverage that asset through the technology generations that we use to light up that fiber. Uh, you need to have a, a way to be able to deliver more bandwidth, to be able to deliver more in different kinds of services that you can use to get more revenue uh, off of that network to, to then give you the return uh, on your fiber investment. And the good news is that a fiber network is really built to do exactly that. Um, we have uh, nearly unlimited bandwidth uh, in optical fiber. Uh, we have the ability to, to pack lots of different wavelengths of light uh, over a single fiber. And so in, in doing so, we can migrate from one technology to the next. So as the electronics uh, grow and mature over time, as speeds increase over time, as they always do, you can smoothly migrate um, from one technology to another or even have multiple technologies operating on the fiber at the same time to make sure that you're able to grow in the, the services and the revenue that you're able to deliver off of that network. Um, so we'll, we'll start with a little bit of what's going on today and then take a, a little further horizon uh, look out uh, in the next three or five years and through the end of the decade. So um, this is really the state of the art technology to deploy on a pond today. Um, and, and I talked about multiple technologies coexisting on, on a pond before, and, and we're, we're already taking advantage of that right now. So um, Combo Pond, you've probably heard about it uh, over the last uh, year or two. Um, this is the, the idea of delivering both today's G-Pond, which is uh, two and a half gig and uh, one and a, uh, two and a half gig downstream, uh, one and a quarter upstream. It's been around for about 15 years alongside XGS Pond, which gives you 10 gigs uh, symmetric capacity on a different set of wavelengths. Um, taking those two technologies and combining them and delivering them from the same OLT port uh, at the same time. So this makes it very easy if you have an existing GPON network to um, seamlessly migrate over to XGS Pond. You can keep serving those GPON ONTs that you already have out there um, in the installed base. So this is not a technology upgrade that forces you into some kind of mass flash cut that you have to um, coordinate and organize and lose subscribers over. Um, this, this is really, you know, taking a single SFP and packing a GPON transceiver, an XGS PON transceiver, and the WDM filter that, that goes in between them and putting it all into a single port. So this is, is what I would call step one. Um, we've been deploying GPON for a very long time now. Um, if you're starting off with a brand new network, it makes all the sense in the world uh, to, to start off with, with XGS Pond um, or with Combo Pond. There are some, some applications where it makes sense to have uh, both there, even if you do have a new network. Um, but this is sort of the, the state of the art 
today. And this is what we recommend that, that people put in all new networks. Uh, and if you go to the next slide, uh, you, can, you can quickly see why. Um, XGS Pond is really starting to dominate the global Pond market. Um, if you look at the numbers from uh, Omdia, which is one of the largest uh, analyst firms in this space, um, they're saying that uh, globally speaking on, on the OLT port side, so we're talking about the infrastructure here, um, 10 gig will be a majority of the, the ports shipped globally this year. So this is the first year when it crosses over that, that there are more uh, 10 gig ports being shipped than there are GPON ports. And if you look at the colors in the slide, Combo really dominates that. So uh, the, the large pink bars that you see at the top are the, the combo pond, which is both XGS and GPON at the same time. Um, then there's a little uh, a purple band that's just 10 gig without the combo functionality. And then you have the declining blue bar, um, which is legacy two and a half gig uh, GPON. So you see that dropping over time. And uh, really here this year in 2021, uh, you see XGS pond and combo pond uh, really taking the mantle in, in terms of leading uh, PON deployments worldwide um, from GPON, which has been the dominant technology for um, you know probably 12 or 15 years. There are a number of reasons for that. You know, one is is all about the supply chain. Um, the optics, in particular, are are well along the cost and volume curve. We've seen those come down uh, pretty dramatically over the last few years since um, you know here at Adtran we first introduced XGS PON back in in 2016. Um, and it's gone from being a you know very niche early adopter technology then to as the volume is picked up, you see today it's it's really the mainstream technology. Um, this is also enabled on the ONT side supply chain um, from an electronics perspective. There are multiple uh, chipset providers that are providing chips for those ONTs, and of course where there's uh, competition and volume, that means uh, costs come down. Um, all of that adds up to um, XGS Pond really being the mainstream technology uh, beginning this year. And if you look out, you know, through the, the forecast period in this chart is out to 2025, and it really dominates there. And you start to see a little tiny sliver of, of some other stuff that we'll talk about in a moment um, coming in at, at the top of the bar there. Um, but XGS Pond with, with 10 gig symmetric bandwidth uh, gives you the capability to deliver a really premium gigabit service it allows you to deliver multi-gig services um, when the time is right for that, when the marketing needs drive you to, uh, to, to make sure that you've got something that can um, compete in the market. Uh, and also it drives convergence of, of different services. We really didn't have enough bandwidth on GPON to deliver residential and mobile backhaul and business services um, all on the same infrastructure. But with XGS PON, you have that bandwidth. So you can take all of these services that normally people build parallel networks for and deliver them uh, over a single network. So now you, you have one network at this um, you know, point to multi-point pawn architecture price point that you can deliver uh, all of those different services over. Let's talk a little bit about what's coming down the pike. So if I look at bandwidth needs, XGS Pond is gonna take care of us really through the through the end of the decade. But I, I wanna give you a, a flavor of, of what's coming after that so that you see the progression uh, in the, the, the growth of the pond technology. So there's a few different things that are, that are going on um, in the standardization space that relates to what do we do uh, after 10 gig. 
Um, one of those is uh, from the IEEE, uh, and this is on the, the EPON side of the world. Um, typically, this is, is more deployed in, uh, in Asia and uh, more deployed with cable operators. Um, they're doing 10 gig symmetric right now uh, for PON, and uh, the latest standard from uh, IEEE uh, gives you 25 or 50 gigs uh, in the downstream direction and uh, 10 or 25 upstream. So this is uh, standardized. There are some uh, different uh, band plans that, that you can see here that are really organized to allow you to coexist these next 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 gen technologies with either um, legacy GPON or this decade's uh, XGS PON, um, but not necessarily both. Um, there, there is uh, one option there that, that I'll get to in a moment that's um, theoretically allows that, but I, I think it has some practicality problems. So um, EPON uh, gives you 25 gigs per wavelength. It bonds two wavelengths to, to get to 50 gigs, and then you have a, a 10 or a 25 gig upstream. Um, on the ITU side, which is the, the GPON through XGSPON uh, family of standards, uh, the, the next one is the uh, very aptly named G.HighSpeedPON High Speed PON or G.HSP, uh, and, and that's 50 gigs. So the ITU decided to take a step um, beyond 25 gigs and, uh, and go to 50. So um, there are also uh, multiple upstream speed options here, uh, multiple band plans, really the, the same sort of scheme that you see in uh, in the, the IEEE EPON space, except the downstream is a, a single 50 gig wavelength uh, rather than a, a couple of, of 25 gig wavelengths. Um, outside of, of those recognized standards bodies, there's an industry group, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this in, in a moment, that's uh, pushing a standard that they call 25 GSPON. Um, so this is uh, the, the idea here is to take some of the things that are being done in 25 gig EPON and provide an intermediate step uh, between 10 and 50 um, for the, the ITU uh, family of standards. So this takes a step of, of going to 25 gigs. You've got the same 10 or 25 upstream um, that you have in EPON. And there is an, an upstream band option here that allows you, uh, at least in theory, to have uh, this 25 GS PON and G PON and XGS PON all on the same fiber at the same time. And that's this little US3 band that's uh, sticking up with a, a small arrow uh, in the, the middle picture. Um, in theory, this allows you to put all three uh, PON technologies on the fiber at once. Um, I'm pretty skeptical around the cost of, of this. Um, you've got some very tight control on the, the bandwidth. You've got some very tight filters. Uh, I think that's going to add too much cost to an ONT to make it really practical, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. At least in theory, you can coexist all three. Practically speaking, I, I think we'll be rolled off of GPON by the time you start thinking about something beyond 10 gig. So uh, I'm not sure this is, is really a problem that, that requires much of a, uh, a solution. Um, from, from that perspective. Uh, if we go to the next slide, we'll talk a little bit more um, about the, the two ITU track um, sort of uh, families. One, um, you know, from the ITU, the, the G.HSP, and then this 25GS PON group. So um, you see some logos we pulled off of the, the, uh, the MSA website. Um, this is an, an organization right now that's a bunch of vendors, um, a handful of operators, 
Um, but I, I think the issue that this technology is going to have is that it, it doesn't really have critical mass uh, in the industry. And uh, I'll talk about why that's important in a moment. But if I look at what's going on um, with the, the real ITU track standard, the 50 gig, um, it's, uh, it's well on its way uh, to completing standardization. Um, they've, they've consented almost all of the pieces um, except the, the top end uh, 50 gig symmetric uh, version. And there's a lot of traction there um, from the vendor space, but also among the operators and worldwide. So both in, both in, in the West and also uh, in the East in Asia. And uh, we'll talk about in a moment why that's very, very important. Um, so let's go on to the next slide and think about how we choose technologies. Um, and, and that's really about the value that it delivers. And one way to think about the value is what capability does it give me? How much does it cost me? And do I really need it? So does it do more than what I have now? Does, does it give me some advantage over the existing uh, technology or the technology that's, that's going to be mainstream over the next few years? Um, do I need that additional capability? If I look at GPON going to XGSPON, um, the, the answer is pretty clear. Uh, and we can we can talk about the numbers uh, in Q&A if you have any questions. Um, but the, the short story is that, that we see GPON running out of capacity um, in the next three to four years um, if you're just using residential. Um, if you're trying to do any other kind of business services, it's, it's much sooner than that. XGSPON, if I look at that, gives me all kinds of additional capability that, that I'm going to need. Uh, and then that brings us to the next question. So how much more does it cost me? And recognize that this changes over time based on, on the, the industry uptake, based on the volume. Uh, and that's especially true, again, as we talked about before, in the optics space. So I've got some new capability and I think I need it and I know what it's going to cost me. So the, the question is, is it worth that cost difference? And so let's, let's run that filter through uh, some of these, these new technologies through that filter uh, on the next slide and, and talk about what it is that, that we need. Um, it, if I sum up the, the overall view, XDS PON is going to be the dominant uh, technology that's deployed on PONs throughout the, the 2020s. Um, I, I think that's unquestioned. The, the, the real question is what's next after that and, and when does it show up? Um, and, and let's look, look, look at some cautionary tales. Um, XGPON 1 was standardized several years ago. It's 10 gigs down, two and a half gigs up. Um, it failed because it did not meet a market need that existed at the time. There, there was no driver for uh, higher speed residential services at the time, and the asymmetric nature meant that you couldn't really use it to uh, deliver that converged um, residential and business network that we talked about before. So it failed because it didn't meet a, a market need that existed at the time. Um, NGPON2 is a really cool technology. You have 40 gigs moving to 80 gigs on the pond. Um, this is split up into different wavelengths and you have uh, a tunable uh, transceiver at the ONT side that tunes into whichever one of these wavelengths it needs to listen to. Um, super cool technology, but it failed because it never got the market acceptance that it needed to get that supply chain critical mass going. Um, there wasn't a real recognized problem for enough people that it solved 
in order to climb up that cost curve and get to something that was that was mass deployable. Uh, and, and now we look at the global market. China represents about two thirds of the volume for the global market for PON. So the, the bottom line there is if, if the Chinese operators don't adopt a given PON technology, then it's not going to reach that critical mass because that market controls so much of, of the volume in the, the global market, which, which drives those optics costs, which drives silicon vendors and, and all of those things. And, and if you look at, at what the, the, the Asian operators are doing, they're backing the 50 gig pond technology. This is, this is what they see as the next step. And the reasoning that they've given is largely um, the, the reasoning that I've talked about uh, in the last few minutes when we've, we've covered XGS pond. 10 gig in, in the form of XGS pond gives you plenty of capacity for the next decade. Um, the applications that drive you beyond 10 gig are things like mobile front haul, um, which really 25 gig doesn't give you enough bandwidth to address that either. So 50 gig is, is the next logical step um, from an industry-wide perspective. Uh, and um, XGS PON is, is going to be the, the dominant technology uh, over the, the decade of, of the 2020s and, and really um, starting last year and, and picking up in, in a huge way uh, this year. Um, there's a lot more that we could talk about on this. Um, if, you, if you have questions, um, let's uh, uh, hear those and uh, we'll talk through that in the time that you have left. Um, if you have uh, other questions, want to talk about this, want to talk about some other things uh, in, uh, in this space, we'd love to, uh, to talk to you. Stop by uh, our booth at uh, Fiber Connect uh, here in about a month in, in Nashville uh, or visit adtran.com slash FTTH uh, for a lot of other resources. Um, so I've, I've tried to give sort of a survey of, of where the technology business uh, on the pond side is going over the next few years. But the bottom line is no matter what technology you choose, there's going to be a lot of bandwidth that you can deliver over this, this large fiber investment that you have um, to make sure that you can continue to grow, to meet competitive needs, to meet subscriber needs um, for, for the foreseeable future uh, and beyond. So um, with that, I'll, I'll stop and uh, we can use the time that we have left for Q&A. So Ryan, doesn't this put us in a paradox? So if um, the U.S., bans chip sales to China, yet we need China's volume to be able to drive down the cost of chips and they are having to develop their own chips, then wouldn't that mean these chips would have to be Chinese chips and we can't buy chips from China? So how, how does this all work? So that that's a great question. Um, it, it is a little thorny on the chip side, but fortunately the chip side is, is sort of the easier part of this. Um, you know, we have uh, you know, traffic management capabilities in, in chips that scale up to 50, uh, you know, 25 gigs and 50 gigs. And it's relatively straightforward uh, to, to put those into, uh, in, into ASICs. And the, the thing about the chip side is everybody's familiar with Moore's law. Those chips get better, faster and cheaper uh, every year. And, and that's really on the back of, of the global chip volume, not necessarily the volume for a particular um, ONT chipset. So um, that problem is a lot more, uh, you know, kind of like the rising tide that lifts all boats. Um, where you get really specific is in in the optics side. Um, so the the optics are 
um, much more driven by volume. There's there's no kind of Moore's law that says they're just automatically magically going to get um, better, faster, and cheaper. And, and optics is almost completely driven by volume. So if if you look at the global market um, on on the optics, you you've got uh, a, a little bit more leeway there in in the the legal sense uh, around where you can source those optics. Um, there, there are lots of diversified sources uh, that are out there, but the same base components um, go in there, and the the global volume sort of helps out the supply chain a, a, across everything there. So um, I, there are some specific issues with with chips and and uh, you know tariffs and, and geopolitics, um, but again the 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 Moore's law rising tide kind of takes care of you there. Um, whereas those issues are not so much um, present where it's really, really critical, uh, which is on the optic. Hey, we have a ton of questions, Ryan. So um, one that's when you were talking about combo pond, the question came in that if you're using the Adtrans system, can they then use Calyx, Cisco, Fuji, whoever for electronics in the same pond system? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of different ways to do that. So one is to have a different OLT serving each different technology. And um, in, in that case, so you've got a vendor A, XGS PON OLT, you've got a vendor B, G PON OLT, and, and so on. Um, since those are all separated by wavelength, they don't really interfere with each other, they don't interact, they don't know that each other are there. So um, that's, there, there's no real interoperability concerns um, from that perspective. Now, some things that you can do that we've seen um, some of our customers do is if you, you, you have a installed base of G PON, um, from from one vendor, and you want to upgrade to XGS PON using the combo PON that we talked about there, they can put in a a new OLT, I'll say an Adran OLT, that can serve both those brand new XGS PON customers and through ONT interoperability serve the existing installed base of GPON ONTs from whatever vendor was out there um, before. So you know those are those are are um, you know vendor specific uh, approaches there. But um, at, at the base optical layer, everything is is compatible because they they keep strict wavelength separation. So next question is similar but with a little twist. So you have you're deploying your XGS PON, and now you have active Ethernet um, from the same OLT. You know, so point to point versus PON. How do you do that? So a couple of different ways to do that. Um, the the easy way is if you have the fiber, it's easy. Um, is just to make sure that you have the feeder fiber coming from the OLT site for those those customers that need uh, a a single fiber service that you can dedicate a fiber all the way through for them, but still keep the pond infrastructure um, in place for the majority of subscribers. And this is the way that most people do it today. Um, there are some things that uh, some some vendors and uh, some operators are starting to do to overlay. Uh, point-to-point wavelengths on top of that point-to-multipoint pond. So this is kind of having your cake and eating it too. I've got the pond infrastructure out there for everybody. And if I have somebody who has specialized needs or very high bandwidth needs, I can drop them a wavelength that only they see that's that's dedicated to them. And uh, if you want to talk more about that, uh, have a chat with your AdTrans salesperson or come see us at Fiber Connect. Great. Um so there was also a request for your slides. So if anybody wants a copy of Ryan's slides, just type in, send me a copy of the slides in your um, the Q&A window, and Jennifer will send those out to you. How much are companies like Adtran now getting affected by supply chain issues like chip shortages 
is uh, this going to consider deliveries to projects over the next six to 24 months? Wouldn't future proofing networks using higher G funds make more sense to avoid sustained supply chain issues? Well, that's uh, that's about three different questions. Um, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to address all of them, and if I missed anything, um, uh, you can back clean up for me, Gary. Yeah, right now I think it's no secret that our our industry and and electronics in general are are in a a significant supply chain crunch. Um, you know, we have been handling that by working with our customers to make sure that they have long-term forecasts in place. Um, we've been building inventory to make sure that that we have product to ship. Um, but there's no question it's it's a very constrained environment right now, and probably will be for um, you know the the, the next uh, six, twelve, maybe to eighteen months, um, depending on on which analyst you listen to. If if I look at that versus the the technology choices, um, you know that that's going to be a short to medium term concern, and the place that you want to be in that supply chain uh, constrained environment is the same place everybody else is because the uh, from from the supply chain perspective if you're a guy building optics if you're building chips all the marbles are going to roll down to the end of the table where everybody's volume is so if you have a hundred people that are asking for 50 million of this chip and then you have two people who are asking for 200,000 of this chip that that big one is is where the attention is going to be. If if you're trying to do something niche and you know really trying to get something off the ground from a technology perspective, like a 25 or a 50 in this supply chain environment, um, that's a very rough place to be. Um, whereas in in the mainstream of the flow of the river um, is is going to be a better place to be from a supply chain perspective because that's where everyone's attention is focused you know from vendors like us all the way on down um to to the people who build um you know photo detectors that go inside the transceivers that we buy for pond in in the constrained environment the mainstream is really where you want to be well unfortunately we're out of time there's a ton more questions so hopefully um ryan you can respond to those um here afterwards but there is one comment from dave george Josh Bailey is your best employee ever. I guess I have to agree with that. Josh is certainly <laughs> one of my favorites. I'm sure Josh um, would agree but... with that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate you know I really appreciate you sharing your vision and expertise with our audience today. You know, next week we're going to be discussing popular bluffs path to becoming world class, a fiber broadband transformation story with Kevin Cantwell, the president of Big River Communications, as he discusses their journey to building a world-class fiber network and the challenges ahead. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that. So thanks again for joining us today and we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday.